Hi, everybody. Before we start, I wanted to um, just kind of apologize for how long it's taken to get another episode out. Um, things have been really um, kind of difficult and disjointed um, in my life. We we moved into a house, and then the house wasn't ready, and then everything possible has gone wrong with said house, um, and it's just taken a real toll on my mental and physical health. Um, so I do apologize, because I know a lot of you guys actually really enjoy this, and I have so few episodes out. Um, I'm not going to make any promises saying I'm going to get back to a super regular schedule, because all the stuff at Tamarack Arts is starting to get really busy, but I do hope to be able to produce more than one episode every, I don't know, four months or whatever that is. So um, hopefully you'll enjoy this episode. It's one, uh, the first in a series of conversations I'm having with all manner of adult learners. Um, and if you would like to be one of the people I talk to, um, drop me a line, emilywrightcello at gmail.com. Thanks. Here's the episode. Welcome to Lonely Cello. So welcome to the Lonely Cello Podcast. I am Emily Wright, and I am here with... Tanya Nolan from the Tanya UK. Nolan. Lovely. Um, and actually, before we really get going, I think you told me that you had just played Mendelssohn 4 in a concert recently. I did, yes. Yesterday. Well, we shouldn't exaggerate too much, though, because as we'll explain later, I'm relatively new to the cello. So I played the bits of Mendelssohn 4 I could play. And you the survived very Mendelssohn 4. <laughs> I survived Mendelssohn 4 with a lot of support from the rest of the section. That's the way it should be. And that's the way it is when you're a pro too. Like we're all, it's, it's our job to always help each other all the time. It's, it's meant to be collaborative. I don't know about you, but um, I get the strongest nutcracker vibes from that symphony, like I always feel like there should be like a ballet set to it because it has such, especially that fourth movement, it just, it, I don't know why, it just always makes me feel like this should be a ballet about Christmas time. It would make sense. I have to say my thoughts didn't really wander very, very much further than um, as long as I hold on to my cello and have a vague idea what position I think I might be in, then we should be okay. <laughs> so. That works for me. So um, you say you play the cello and you say you haven't been playing very long. How long have you been playing? Uh, just over two and a half years. Gosh, so that's an ambitious pace. <laughs> it's a bit more complicated. So I played from 11 to 16. Okay. And then there was a 40 year gap before I picked it up again. Um, and I hadn't really achieved that much the first time round. So um we went pretty well back to the beginning. I have to say, there are lots of different paths to kind of being in a you know an adult serious music student. But I have to say, at least half of my students have a story very similar. Like I tinkered with it, I did something else for my 
my job. And then after 30, 40, 50 years, I was like, let's try this again. It's a very common trajectory. And I love that that so many people kind of nurse this thing over the course of their life. Did you always know that you were going to come back to it? Or did you did it just seem like a good idea one day? I think at the very back of my mind, I had a hankering to. Um, but I played the clarinet also at school. Mm. And I'd taken the clarinet up again maybe 20 years ago, something like that, mainly because I was traveling a lot and I was traveling internationally. Now, you'll know from your own traveling, but in this case, I was often on my own in a hotel. The foreign TV was no use to me because I couldn't understand it. And I just felt that I wanted something else. And so I went back to the clarinet because I could take that round with me. Yeah. And of course, you can't easily take a cello around with you. Um, so that's really why I'd, I think that was the main reason I'd gone back to the clarinet. Mm. Um, so I, I'd been playing clarinet seriously until um, COVID lockdown time. And unfortunately, I did get COVID right at the very beginning. And that has affected my breathing. Mm. And it's mean, it means that I'm not really able to play my clarinet. Oh, that's a but, shame. Uh, it's, it's been tough. Long yeah. COVID is serious. And apparently you don't even have to have a terrible case of COVID. You can have a fairly mundane case of it and still end up with just devastating like pulmonary symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. So I realized after about, well, I got it in March and I was, started the cello in July mm. and by then I was kind of going crazy with basically no music in my life and what do you do with the three hours a day or longer than that at the weekend that is music practice and playing time so I was going crazy I was I need I needed music back again and my husband plays the cello as a, an amateur the, the same and we had a spare cello in the house so it was as if all of these factors all came together and it was the obvious thing to pick up the cello and find myself a teacher who was prepared to teach me at that point online um, because we were all in lockdown. Yep. Um, yeah, I have been very, very, very lucky. I have an excellent teacher who did start off online and then we got together and then we had to go back online again. Um, no, it's really wonderful journey so far. Yeah, well, and also I love um, the fact that like one of the byproducts of everybody kind of getting fluent with either Zoom or Skype or just other ways of being online with other people, um, I am able and like more people are able to just say, yeah, I would like to do an interview with you, for instance, right? Because a lot of people before COVID, it was kind of this exotic thing to coordinate and record it. And now it's just sort of like, oh yeah, everybody's sharing screens and sending music across the world. And it's, <laughs> it's like, it's it, there, we have to find bright spots. And I think this is one of them. And also as an unofficial ambassador from uh, string music. I'm just, I welcome you. And I'm sorry that the clarinet is difficult for you, but, but we string players are lucky to have you. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, any so, hints on how to understand and follow the conductor from the side rather than the front? Because I'm realizing that's a bit of a challenge at the moment. Um, different. 
You know, it's funny because I, I can't even imagine. I bet if I saw a conductor straight from the front, I'd be like, what's what's that waving going? What is all right? Because you just kind of learn to, you know, refract it through whatever you're used to. Um, as And if you know the meaning of all the patterns, right, with all of your experience, I'm sure you do. Um, I mean, it is not out of the question, though, to just say, is there any way you could be a bolder on a downbeat or an upbeat? It gets asked all the time, especially in community orchestras and especially with adult learners, because, you know, after 40, all of our eyes go wild. There's no such thing as a good distance, right? You choose whether you see the stand or the person next to you. Yes. So <laughs> but, but the conductor is there. It's kind of like a massage therapist. And you know how like you're keeping your mouth shut when it's not a good massage and you're like, oh, I guess this is just a bummer of a massage. But then afterward, they're like, I wish you would have told me because I could have done something different. No conductor, especially of a community orchestra, would mind that you want to pay better attention to a certain aspect of them. I like the framing of it that way. Yes. Yeah, right. Because that only somebody who cared so much about paying, being with the rest of the band would, would ask that kind of a question. And you know, if, if, if it's something that's tough for you, it's tough, tough for other people. So especially if you do it privately, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, somebody with an ego might, you know, if you raise your hand, not that any conductors ever have egos. We would never say that. Oh, never. Oh God, all my conductors are going to be like texting me. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I'm sure actually they'd be thrilled for that kind of thing because it's an insightful, helpful question. Um, so, you know, you, you played cello back in the day um, and clarinet. What what made you choose actually both of their instruments? Was it just like that was what was available or was there a particular, you know, recording or musical personality? Kind of. Um, my dad had played the clarinet, so my parents guided me towards that. Nice. And I I was at the junior school, so I was seven, eight years old, something like that at that point. Um, but then when I went to high school, I was in the, the school orchestra, um, but they didn't have any cellos and they had, as most orchestras do, an abundance of clarinets. And I have no idea the next links really. All I know is that the music teacher one morning presented me with a cello and said, I really need you to play this these are the open strings on the music it's that one that one that one and that one don't worry about the bow and he'd organized because we played for like the hymns for the assembly in the school and he'd written the music so that all i needed to do was to pitch the open string open strings to begin with and I think, I think my first string things, I mean, I was reading music already because i started on the piano but i'm pretty sure that that was actually the rough and tumble that I was brought into as well. Like we had it color coded. So pluck the blue string, pluck the orange string. <laughs> it's like it's just amazing how like resourceful, like they're like, we need a cello, you are officially recruited. For me, it was you're tall and we're out of violins. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, cello for me, I suppose. So yeah, just stuck, I guess. Um so when you are not working on music, when it's not those three hours a day, like, um, do you have a, a job or hobbies or kind of what do you do? You know, I'm trained as a scientist. Um, so my specialism is, is genetics and uh, working with gene expression and all of those kind of things. 
um, and up until the whole COVID and long COVID time, that's what I was doing. Um, now I'm doing a little bit of work when I can. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's balancing the music with the little bit of work. There is something about that also. I can't tell you how many students I've had. I've never in my life met somebody who's like a molecular biologist. I've had four of them as students. Like it's right. It's just something about like analytical process oriented thinking that just like it just kind of gets people into music. Um, I used to live, we lived in DC for 11 or 12 years. And um, one of our houses when we had to get under the highway, we passed a place called Human Genome Sciences. And it was this big, like crazy, like when you see like um, in movies about secret programs in the US government, like it looks exactly <laughs> like that building. And we're always like, what's, what is in there? What could possibly, and apparently they're just doing just uh, genome sequencing stuff just 20, 24 seven. Um, but I just, I just thought it was kind of funny and was like, what is that secret building? What could be so secret in there? Maybe you know the secrets. I'm not asking you. Don't don't tell me. <laughs> not supposed to know. Probably um, not that exciting, really. <laughs> yeah, you're like A G C C Almost like music. You could almost place if we had a T, we would be onto it. Um so um what has kind of surprised you about um, I initially phrased it as like about learning the instrument. What has surprised you the second time around? I think surprised me. Or been more difficult or complex or? No, no I think if anything, it's been realizing that I could bring all of the fantastic teaching that I'd had with my clarinet on all the musicality and everything that I realized I'd actually absorbed through those years of pain and struggle. And it was as if I could, to an extent, cut short some of the pain and struggle with the cello. Absolutely. Um, Do you feel like um, the connection between the bow and the breath? Yes, um, to an extent. The, and also the same thing happens that when my focus goes on the sort of technical what is my left hand doing in the same way we think about fingering then all the attention goes and it all goes horribly wrong in exactly the same way it um, is absolutely yeah there's a one-to-one -one correlation i think on any instrument you can actually just hear when somebody's brain goes to the uh what am i doing as opposed to the how am i doing it i, I like that way of phrasing it yes yeah yeah exactly and um, then you lose that connection with the music that you're trying to play, um, which yeah. I've not really got there yet. I don't think where I, I, I've got to the point where the cello is a part of me, which I did reach that point with my clarinet that I would, there wouldn't be a boundary between me and the instrument. Um, but I still feel I'm learning to work the cello. It's um, still very much a physical experience. Yeah, there's that. And also, um, again, with linking to the breath, because the clarinet is linked to something that literally keeps you alive and you use to express yourself. And so as string players, I'm sure you've noticed this, and we don't just do it when we play in, uh, instruments. Like 
when I'm stuck in traffic and I'm stressed, I will absolutely hold my breath the same way that, you know, if I'm sight reading something and I'm not thinking, I will mm -hmm. hold my breath like everybody else. Um, so uh, not that you've come here for a lesson, but the the sooner you learn to take the small sips of air that you would take during our conversation or during a kind of not an excessively difficult phrase on your clarinet, the more all of your skill can kind of come out onto the instrument. It just, and, and all of your musicality, it's just gentle sips. We think of it like this, we have to turn to some Zen master yoga with beautiful deep breathing. And it's like, no, just take a sip of air when you need it now and again. Um, but yeah, and eventually you will find that the bow is exactly one-to-one uh, -one with with the terms, even like breath support. It's like the support when you need, when you're going to the end of the bow, it's exactly the same kind of thing, right? You have to like yeah. bring that support, otherwise the note will peter out and die. So um, I played clarinet for, ah, oh, no, 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 I was so bad. It was so bad that they changed the time of the class to a time when they knew I could. No way. <laughs> That's a little harsh. It is. Well, I, I quit the cello in fourth grade because like there's too much pressure and things just were, it was too much for me. And there, somebody had given us a fine, like a nice professional level Selmer wooden clarinet. And so it's like, like, well, why don't, and I was messing around on it and I figured out the scales I played a little recorder and the systems okay, are yeah, similar so enough, right? Similar fingering. Yeah. Yeah. Enough. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't great. Um, but uh, the problem was I, I didn't read, I didn't understand that it was a B flat instrument and I don't have perfect pitch, but I can hear a C and I'm like, well, I guess this means something else. And so I was playing, you know, this wonderful whole step away <laughs> all the time and I was like no no I know how to read music uh, let me try it again it's just absolutely devastating um so um if, if you could go back and do anything differently and I guess I it could be this second time around um mostly because we list we're talking to you know adult learners but even the first time around because so many people have one kind of what would you what would you change in your approach to the cello I think you might suggest to myself that I was a little bit more patient um, and, and now it's becoming a little bit of a standing joke between myself and my teacher that I come I arrive at my lesson each week and they ask me how the cello is going and I inform him that I still can't play um, and now I'm accepting that I can't yet play the cello whereas for the first few months because I wanted to replace my clarinet experience with the cello, I wanted to do it now, not after a number of years. Um, and so I think I built in an awful lot of frustration. Yeah. Effectively, because I wanted to do it so much faster than I, I can't imagine how anybody really could do it as fast as I wanted to do it. Um, I think, though, that what you were talking about earlier is important and it makes sense. And you might want to look at your your progress on the cello is like you know there's this there's this great lore in the united states about the transcontinental railroad that like they were kind of building it from opposite it's like the the tunnel right like digging from opposite I, sides and then right and so if you've got like this massive piece of land like your your clarinet actually that railroad is still there 
and you're building slowly a much shorter railroad than somebody who'd never played a musical instrument, right? Yeah. But it, but it is slower progress. But there is a point at which these will touch because you are already a fully formed artist and musician. So you don't need to know about, you know, phrases and harmonic environments and parsing melodies and classical versus Baroque. So you have all of this stuff waiting and you are now at the most wonderful and the worst part because you are probably now having the tipping point where your, your left hand mostly goes where it should you probably want to go faster but right like it's not shocking the way it was probably a year ago and then the the battle of the intermediate to advanced string player is 90 percent of our work is on the bow which is the thing that you don't that you haven't done even left hand there's a bit of like dexterity that must remind you a bit of the clarinet right just yes. like dropping your fingers and not having tension and all those things so um definitely like all of that knowledge didn't go nowhere it, it's definitely waiting there for you and supporting you more than you even know but it'll be really exciting when you start making those connections where you feel the kind of roots grafting onto each other um yeah it's it's so exciting I'm a student pianist uh, I haven't I haven't played in a little while but um it's it's strange because I'm still terrible at the left hand you would think I'd be good, right? Bass clef is like where I live. And I'm just like, nope, not not doing it. Right hand, completely good. So waiting for my cello to help inform my piano. <laughs> um, so you said that your husband is a cellist. So is he's definitely supportive of your efforts. What's it like living with another cellist who's got a head start on you? Um, well, we're kind of getting closer because I had my previous few years and um Colin also started in later years okay um, and he describes it that he has a hobby playing a cello whereas I have an obsession to play whichever of the instruments <laughs> so I do spend a lot of time practicing either you know the skills and the lesson music um or orchestra music um Colin is quite happy to take his cello out each week and and just play the orchestra music and that's enough for him um but as you say it does mean that he's very supportive of my obsession he's he's perfectly happy if I need to do that I love that um so have you found it easy to kind of carve out the time to to practice and to, to do all of these things? Um, I mean, you said that you're doing like less work than you did before. So I'm sure that makes it probably a bit easier. Yes, exactly that. Um, and I think it's very important to recognize that music practice is in fact a form of therapy or well-being, you see. So it's absolutely critical that this is done. and and joking aside for my sense of self I really do feel Same. that I need that um so I try to do short sessions through the day so that I'm not exhausting myself and probably it's more productive that way at this stage anyway it is yeah and I, I it's also important that like anybody basically over 40 there's kind of like you just have to be really careful with how quickly you ramp up if you start feeling, you know, serious about the instrument or obsessed with it, 
that you, it, it is so easy to give yourself tendonitis, which if you don't let it completely go away, can just sort of hover over you, right? Like the sword of Damocles, just kind of like, uh-huh. it can just, so it's, I think t- doing like small bits of practice like that is, is pretty much ideal. Also, it keeps your attention span fresh, yes. right? It's just, yeah, it's, there's, there's absolutely no downside to doing that. Um, and so like, what has helped you um, get through like any tough times or, or low points in your relationship with the instrument? Have there been any? Um, you said you brought some frustration in the beginning. Yeah, I think, I think then it was absolutely having an understanding teacher. Mm. Um, he's very, very experienced teacher, but he's also a very experienced orchestral player, soloist, um, a music director for choirs and for orchestras, for community groups. So he, he's got this massive experience right across the board. And I suspect there's nothing I can really say that he's not heard before, but he still accepts it as if it's the first time. And, you know, it's a very personal experience. Um, and so I would like to say that when I've really, really struggled, he has identified with that and is able to recognize that this is a known phase. And of course, I know for myself that music learning is very often a long plateau with a lot of work and nothing's happening and then finally. But even so, I think it's still helpful to have somebody there who's almost saying, we know this happens, don't we? But let's have a look and see what the problem is. And, you know, let's try and fix that problem or whichever, whatever it is at that time. But also, I'd like to offer a a kind of hopeful rebuttal to the idea of the plateau. So um, my one of my hobbies is actually winemaking because I only do things that cost thousands of dollars, apparently. (laughs) Like, why? Why can't I choose like something like knitting? I was like, no, let's not do that. I want to do things that are expensive and time consuming. So um, kind of likening, you know, the plateau to fermentation. So it's like, we're not picking and we're not squeezing. We're not doing all this kinetic stuff. What you're doing though, during this time that's a plateau is all of the stuff that you've just learned is becoming yours. It's becoming your technique as opposed to something that you have to think about with this kind of front part of your brain and really like put these down. It's like, it's actually becoming really part of who you are as as a musician. And so it's just like, I feel like it's gestating sort of. And then once that feels solid, then you're ready for this next uptick. And of course, also every subsequent uptick gets steeper because you have less to do. Right. And, and right. Like if you compare, I always do this joke where it's like, okay, so if you compare Yo-Yo Ma and you say he's a hundred percent, he is all the cellist you could possibly be musically, physically, the whole thing. So I'm like, I'm 95% the cellist that Yo-Yo Ma is. People who are uh-huh. in orchestras and concert, like solo concertizing people, they're like 98% of the cellist that Yo-Yo Ma is. And you are 85% the cellist that Yo-Yo Ma is, but it's that last 15%, right? That's just written in blood, <laughs> just like time and tears. And so it's just like, every time you shave a percent off, it becomes more, adverse to like climb the next level so mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm happy being 95 percent I don't I, yeah, I'm not worried about it. 
I'm not worried about that last 5%. He can have it. <laughs> um, so um, as we're kind of wrapping up, like who are some of your favorite musicians? It doesn't have to be cellists, but um, just kind of nerd talk. Like, are there any favorite recordings, pieces? Do you have any pieces that are aspirational that you're like, if I can play this piece, man? Oh, Vorshak, it's got to be. There's no doubt. So when I was about 16, I heard, and I'd been playing for a little while, um, I heard Paul Tortellier play it in Manchester. Um, and it's been an aspiration ever since then. And yeah, maybe yeah. one day I'll play a little bit of it and that would be amazing. You should yeah. do what I do. I just play through it and the parts that I can't play, I just, uh, they're not even there. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> yeah, that narrows it down to about six bars for me at the moment, but you know. <laughs> you know what? You can, I bet you could take a, um, take a good whack at the opening couple phrases of the second movement though. I don't know if a better second movement's been written. Like it just, yeah, I love it. And I also though love, I've never played it um, like with an orchestra, but um Every time I go, I'm always struck by the fact that the, they basically play an entire symphony before the cello has their first note. And the cellist is always up there. It doesn't matter who it is. And they're just like, mm -hmm. everybody's looking at me. <laughs> right for this long time. It's like, I think they should be able to be off stage and kind of walk in. <laughs> just, it's so long. Um, yeah, it is a long introduction. Paul Tortellier is not, I don't feel like a lot, he's like super in vogue to listen to, but I, my teacher uh, had me like on a, on a steady diet of, of Fournier and Tortellier. Yes. Like those were the guys I listened to and a bit of Starker, but he sound, he sounded mean. He sounded like he was teaching the cello a lesson. I love, I love his recordings now, but I was always very threatened by the, <laughs> the Janus Starker sound. So that is our interview for today. I just appreciate you coming on, sharing your experience. And also I think you'll find that um, we'll see how many people comment. I also know four or five people who did clarinet and then cello. It's interesting, isn't it? I have a very close friend in Germany and he did, I think he did cello first and then clarinet um, and plays both to a very high standard. And he actually has been having some issues with his back that made the cello a bit of an issue. So he's gone back to clarinet. So it does seem there's a bit of a crossover between these instruments. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but I'll take it. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming Pleasure on. To meet you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And now we're on to the second part of the episode where I interview Jesse. All right. Well, welcome back. Um, we're here with another guest this time. I am still Emily Wright, but now I am here with. Hi, I'm Jesse McNeil and I, yeah, yeah, I live in Virginia. So this is where I am at home with my four children every day. And <laughs> you look surprisingly awake and at ease for somebody with four children at home. <laughs> oh yeah. Trust me. A minute ago, I was stressed. They were deciding to wash the truck when I told them I was doing a podcast. <laughs> it's like, I go watch a show right now. I think it works. Um, the question is when we're done with this, what is the chance that they will be, uh, 
they will have like commandeered that truck and we'll be hearing about them on the news. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I it's, it's already been through a lot, so who knows? <laughs> All right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, trucks are built tough, right? So, um, I guess let's just start off with what instrument you play and how long you've been playing. Okay. So I play the cello and I have been playing for seven years. The yes, seven years, because I started when my youngest child was one. So he's eight now. So it's been about seven years. And then in our email, you said something like you don't count when you were learning before. Did you play as a kid for a while? No. So I like, like a lot of people, I had a band experience and I played, but it was, um, so I've played for seven years, but six years, uh, wait, so seven years I've played, but the first six years, I feel like they were just very foundational and I was very busy. I was a mom of four young kids and we had moved around a whole bunch. We had a series of um, moves and then we lived in a RV camper mm -hmm. for two years. So it was just a lot of, I, I, I played daily, but I was just kind of checking the box and kind of keeping it fresh, but I wasn't really studying the instrument. I have to say, though, you should probably count those because if you think, I mean, so like I am allegedly a professional cellist, but yep. that's kind of what my first six or seven years was like, right? Like, even though I enjoyed it, I was also, you know, not managing my time well. I was also checked out in half of my lessons because being a kid is like, right, like just, you know, you're just so distracted all the time. And I don't know, I think you're, I think your time, especially because you're practicing with some kind of frequency, I think that counts. I think that yeah, it counts it, but I think of it differently, almost like um, an adult who later in life comes comes back to their instrument with an intentionality and a goal. And I look at what I was doing before I was laying a foundation for sure. And, and it definitely built me up, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't producing. And so when I, I made a big um, mindset change, I, I feel like the last nine months have been totally transformational in who I am as a musician. Yeah, actually, can, can I ask you a little bit about that? Like, how would you describe the change in mindset other than just like you are available with a little bit more attention? Yeah, so I, I remember last year about this time and I, I would say that it was even one of your podcasts that I listened to. I know. It was oh. one of the early ones. It, I think it was with Carol Ann Suter. And you were talking about um, music school. Yeah. And uh, just the journey that somebody would take through music school. I remember you were talking about music theory and harmony and the jazz, <laughs> the jazz people. And I was just so intrigued because I wanted to know, like, how do I, how do I make a change? How do I get better? Or how, what, what do I even need to do? And so the only thing that was coming to mind was, well, I guess I need to go to music school. So I listened to your podcast and I was wondering, okay, is it even possible for me? Yeah. 
I, I kind of marinated in that for a little bit. And then I approached my teacher who had been with me for six years and told him that I really wanted to do it. I really wanted to figure out how to become what I call a real musician. <laughs> for, uh, for real, right, yeah. And so I mentioned, maybe, maybe I'll go back to school, maybe I'll go to college. And we had a really good talk. And then he said, it's time for you to move forward. It's time for you to move on. And he gave me over to my current teacher. And it, it took off from there. <laughs> it was, it's been really amazing. The last nine months have been really, really cool. Yeah. And that's something that I hope anybody else who's listening to this understands that like, well, by the way, you can go back to music school. I've had multiple, multiple adult students just get a real, like, you know, they just get a bee in their bonnet and they're like, I'm going to do this. But there are also ways that you can get a lot of the music school experience if you don't have time to do, you know, semester upon semester and also the time, the money, <laughs> right? It's like, it's, it's an extraordinary thing to do and you'll have to take time off of work and all this, but you can cobble together just about everything important that we got from music school with also the benefit of being a fully formed human because I can't imagine how much more I would have gotten out of music school if I wasn't like also trying to figure out how to be a, a person at the same time, right? Like age, what, you know, 17 through 23, that's a wild ride as a human being. So I, um, I love it. I love everything about this story. So, um, you know, before you started on your cello -y stuff, like you said you had a band experience. Was that what you kind of did in like middle or high school? Yeah, high school, middle school. I I showed up in band class, but that was about it because <laughs> I was in the back. I was percussion, so I don't I don't really know that that did anything for me. Honestly, it was just yeah, kind of give you an idea of what it might look like, I suppose, but <laughs> not a lot more. Percussion is also really difficult because they expect you to know how to do ninety seven different instruments, and and there's also lots and lots of long counting. Right. It's just that's that's always really scary. I tried doing um, drumline my last year of high school. And of course, I'm not a drummer. So they're like, you can read music, you can play the mallet instruments. And it was just like counting 172 measures of rest and then beep, 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 like with the glockenspiel. It was not not what I thought it was going to be. Um, so then what made you choose the cello? So that's. I feel like all these big moments happen in the car, <laughs> the podcast <laughs> that I listened to of you. But so it was seven years ago. I remember driving and my little kids were in the back and I'm, I was listening, just listening to the radio. I think it was probably NPR or a classical music station. And I came to a stoplight and I thought, I want to play the cello. <laughs> And then my very next thought was, what, wait, what even is a cello? I don't even, I don't know what one looks like. I've never seen one played in real life, but I just felt very excited in that moment. And I remember coming home and telling my husband, hey, I want to learn the cello. I'm, I think I'm going to find out if somebody actually teaches this thing <laughs> locally. And it just kind of went from there. I, I had, um, my oldest at the time, he was seven, and he had just started playing piano. And being a homeschooler, we kind of just did everything together. Mm -hmm. So my motivation at that time was just to show the example of learning music. 
little did I know I picked a very difficult instrument. <laughs> you you, <And> you did. <laughs> so yeah, so I just kind of wanted to be inspired alongside of them. And I don't know, lead lead by example. Maybe that was my initial motivation. I wanted to do something that they could see me doing. And then they wouldn't fight me about practice or whatever it was. We would just kind of know it together. Yeah, uh, just a quick question. How, um, what was your process in terms of finding a teacher? Was it, was it easy to find a teacher? Uh, so I went on Facebook and I think I posted or asked a question on one of the homeschooling um, um, feeds or pages and somebody responded to me right away. And then he called me and said, Hey, why don't you come by and meet me and basically meet a cello? Yeah. Like, okay, sure, I'll do that. And so I went and I met him and he sent me home with a cello that day like his cello, he just sent me home with it. And I was completely terrified because I didn't know what to do with it. And it was his, it felt valuable and precious. But also I just told him a couple months ago, I was like, that was the coolest thing you could have ever done for me was to just kind of just trust me with your instrument and have like confidence in me as somebody who could just make it normal, just do it. And what cello are you playing on now? Mine. <laughs> <laughs> Mine. Did you uh, buy one? You, you went out and... Uh, for my... I think I had played for almost a year. My husband bought one for me for Christmas and surprised me. So. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So, um, so I know you have kind of a full-time job in terms of like you know, even one homeschool student ends up being like a lot, right? So when you're not being a music student, kind of what does the rest of your life look like? Uh, a lot of family, a lot of juggling and cleaning and uh, chauffeuring. <laughs> so it's just, it's very full, but we make it work. I have four children um, and they're just kind of all at different stages educationally so my little two they like to play a lot and I just let them play I'll yeah. bring them my circle for an hour and we'll do math and I'll read them a book and we'll talk about some stuff and then they want to play they want to run around outside so I'll pick up my cello yeah and I'm not sure if how um how often you're on Google Scholar but um I got to know a whole lot about the value of play because I went to like grad school for the school of education. And I was one of the only people who was interested in adult education. Most everybody was interested in like a real niche. So I'd had a whole bunch of people who were like into pre-K education, right? Because there's this idea that like your child has to be learning and preparing for college from the time you give birth, right? It's just like, there's this like pipeline of getting them into formalized education. And there's a real movement um, and lots of evidence um, that, allowing children to play is it's an education in itself. And it's also huge in terms of their ability to have a longer attention span to self-regulate all the social skills. So it's like, it's that people think of it as like, Oh, you're just letting your children run, run wild. It's like, no, I'm observing them, but they are like, they're being individual people already, which is yeah. kind of what we're hoping for them to do. Anyway, when we, when we send them to a more formal school, so it's super valuable. 
Yeah. And it just, it sets up for us in our home. There's just a rhythm to the day and it's a constant atmosphere of fluctuating between learning and reading and playing music. And it's just more about an atmosphere in our home. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing, but we come together for these key moments or key lessons. And then we go our separate ways and I'm able to, I've realized now that I do have a lot of time. I have a lot of time where I would probably just be wandering around cleaning the kitchen or micromanaging everybody else where I decided, no, I'm studying too. And that's what I tell my children. I tell them it's time for me to go study and I go play my instrument because I really think that this last nine months of my musical journey have been study because there was a lot that I didn't know how to do <laughs> in the first six years. And then actually, was there um, any resistance to you taking this time? Like, did any of your kids or the people around you kind of like take a step back when you decided to carve this time out? Um, no, not at all. That meant more free time for them. Yeah. they. That, I love that answer. <laughs> They've been excellent. And I've, I've asked them, I'll check in with them and say, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I played a lot of cello today. Or did I play too much? They'll hug me say, no, you, you did great. We love it. <laughs> They're just very encouraging because they know, and they get to see a mom that is pursuing something that she really loves. But also like these, it's funny, you know, you get older and, you know, you have your partner or your spouse and you like, we're, we're constantly like trying to like, you know, undo things that like damaging things that happened as, as children and patterns that you don't want to repeat. But at the same time, you can also see that you are kind of laying a foundation for people who would be supportive of their partners, of the people around them, because it's not a threat to what they're doing. It's just like, well, you love this person and you want to see them thrive and you want to see them go after these things. Yeah. And, and I think that that's just kind of my vision or my feel within the home is just, this is where we live. This is our atmosphere. It's all, it all comes together in a way, you know? I appreciate that. And actually it sounds um, intentional, like you're intentional with your practice, but it also sounds like you're very intentional with the kind of atmosphere you're creating in your house. Yeah. It was interesting. Last night I asked my daughter, so I have three boys and one girl and I asked her, um, what was one of, what was the question I asked? Well, I asked her if I practiced too much or I played too much. And she said, you know what? Our whole house is music. Our whole day is full of music. We do music when we do gathering time. She said, if, if not that, then I'm listening to music in my room or I'm playing piano or somebody else is playing piano. And she said, when you're playing the cello, I don't want to say, she said, I don't want to say that I'm ignoring you, but it's, it's like the backdrop to my day. I've, it's just comforting and nostalgic and just kind of is the, the playlist. <laughs> I'm used to the song and I, I hear it. So that was just really interesting to hear it from her perspective that she knows where I am. I'm in the music room learning or practicing or working on something. She knows where to find me if she needs me. Right. That actually might be my favorite sound. Um, 
every now and again, I'll go and I'll teach like on a college campus, you know, like give a workshop or something and walking into the building where you can hear the practice room and you hear all the different instruments kind of like melding and people working, like some horn players working on a very high note, the violinists are thrashing the, the scales or it's always the Mendelssohn concerto. I don't know what that is, but I always walk in on violinists <laughs> thrashing Mendelssohn. Anyway, it's, um, it's a good sound. And I, um, your kids are lucky. That's going to be a sound that like, they're really, it's going to be like a touchstone. Like as they get older, they're just going to love that. So getting back to um, yourself with the cello, kind of what is the the kind of most surprising thing about learning to play your instrument? And let's just say in this new era, this kind of yeah. past nine months of real study. Um, well, it's just surprising. There's so much to do. <laughs> There's so much to learn. And, and I don't even know what those things are until... I'm learning them. And then I'm surprised when a week later I can almost do them or do them. So it just keeps, it keeps going. Yeah. It, can I ask actually, where, where are you kind of, what is the thing that you're working on right now? Like what piece or what scale or piece of technique? Yeah. So I, I go through a lot, <laughs> but I'm just working on a lot of orchestra stuff right now. Mm -hmm. I've been, um, joined up with two orchestras I'm working on for my own personal uh, recital um, piece is Noturno by Golderman and oh and then Barriere the uh, Allegro Prestissimo <laughs> so not a number 10 but not that fast <laughs> as you would yeah I um when I'm learning anything it's 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 always like moderato <laughs> it doesn't matter if it says like vivace I'm like Someday, not today, but someday. Um, so, and then I'm thinking about um, kind of your larger arc with the instrument. If you could go back and do anything differently, sort of what would you change or what would you, maybe not even what would you change, but is there any, any context that like you would offer yourself to, to make it easier? Right. I don't, I don't know. I've tried to think about this question and of course, my first answer was, well, I wish I would have start vibrato earlier or learn how to sight read. There's a lot of things that I've had to push myself to learn in the last nine months because I never did before. And um, my temptation would be to wish that I had done that already. Mm -hmm. And but if I get to think about it, I can't, I can't really do that to myself. I, I wasn't able to do it at that time. And I, I really don't want to see that as wasted time. <laughs> it wasn't wasted time at all. It, it built a foundation and I've been able to accomplish the things that I've challenged myself with now and it's all really good. So I don't, I don't really know what I would try to tell myself. <laughs> Yeah. And then actually, though, kind of in that vein, if you could go back and give like the beginner you either some advice or just like some bolstering words, you know, because I think a lot of the times we can look back and feel either, you know, regret or just like, I'm not even going to think about it because it's in the past. But instead, like, what if we could turn it on its head and make it some sort of compassionate thing? Yeah, I I guess I just do feel com compassionate with where I was at the time. And I'm also think it, I think it's really precious when I look back at videos of myself in that first year and they're so bad, but they're so cute. And I thought I was, I was doing the thing and I was proud of it. Yeah. And, and, little... and nobody 
gets to anywhere on the instrument without being there. Like maybe Yo-Yo Ma spent less time there than a lot of folks. But at the same time, there was a first time that he played and there was a third time that he played, right? Apparently it was with a viola with like a special stick that they would like affix to the end of it because he, they, I mean, they really started him when he was, you know, like a fetus, <laughs> when he was so incredibly small. But um, I like that though. Um, so, you know, the question I, I ask next is usually, are the people in your life supportive of your efforts? That seems like you have a big thumbs up there. Have you, um, have you gotten any other or, or odd reactions from people who are maybe not in your family when they find out that you're doing something this ambitious? Uh, most of my people are supportive. I do, I do think that from maybe, I guess in my own head, I think that people would think I was putting too much time into it or trying too hard, but for the most part, everybody's supportive. And even I, I really come back to my children time and again, because they, they cause me to put myself in vulnerable situations. There's a, um, a local violin shop and, they do talent night once a month and it's for anybody, any instrument that any instrument they're learning, any piece they're learning. And you go in there and there's little five-year-olds playing a violin or or some adults that are learning how to play the fiddle. And I've made it a point to bring my kids to these to play their piano or their guitar. And then the expectation on me is on me that I have to play too. And it's, it's not always perfect. It's not always the way we wanted it to be, but I get to tell them the words that I would be telling myself and they, and they do the same for me. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because learning anything as an adult is vulnerable making, Mm -hmm. right? Learning anything. Uh, The last guest I was talking about how, like, I'm pretty much a Zen master with the cello. So like, when, when I am learning something that is very hard for me, I have lots of compassion and context and understanding, but then like anything else, I am, <laughs> it's like this part of me does not exist at all. And so I was saying like, as a, as an adult learner, trying to learn how to play hockey, which is also a sport where not, not only do you fall down, but you could fall down and hurt yourself. So there's like this real feeling of risk and vulnerability and it's just so interesting. Um, and I guess I'm just sort of like, I guess I'm just, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I'm really appreciative of people who specialize in teaching adults because it was so different when I was taking lessons from people who teach kids and they'd be like, that's great. And just keep going. And it's okay if you fall down. And, and of course it's not okay if us middle-aged people fall down, <laughs> like I could break my wrist. I could, I could be off of work, but like kids, you know, they have like two feet to fall. I've got like almost six feet to fall to the ground. Um, and then learning from people who teach adults, like getting into like the mechanics and also acknowledging the vulnerability. Um, and so again, for people who are listening, this kind of feeling every time you're at a lesson or playing in front of other people, like we all feel vulnerable. And even I do, after all this time, I still realize that it's just like, yeah, this, this could reflect on me uh, in a way that I'm not comfortable with. And that's okay. Just Yeah. And interesting too, because you have to remember to put yourself in a mindset, even with a lesson, a, a weekly lesson. If she's, if my teacher isn't 
telling me to do something different or teaching me something new, then she's not teaching me. And so I will, there'll be lessons where I'll come away feeling really not well (laughs) because because it was hard or because it felt like everything was new. But then when I go back and I do what she told me to do, then I grow. And then the next week she doesn't talk about it. And I'm like, well, I guess I did the thing. (laughs) Exactly. That's the whole thing. It's like every time it's like you're bringing your car into the mechanic. And so we'll, we'll talk a lot about what's broken. And then the things that are fine, we're not going to talk about, but sometimes I will actually even go through and enumerate these things for my students, especially my beginners. So I'm like, do you notice I didn't mention that your point of contact was wrong? Your pitch is great. Your posture is great. You're breathing when you play. So yes, we've been harping about this extension because the extension is not where it needs to be, but like 97 other things are going right. And you should remember that not just also to pat yourself on the back, But also, it can be very seductive to keep focusing on things that you were focusing on before instead of turning your attention to this thing that is not so great. You need to know when to put it aside (laughs) and move forward. That's right. Otherwise, you can't move forward. Yep. Um, So uh, I know you were mentioning one of your students, one of your students, one of your, um, your kids plays. You have a guitarist and a pianist. Do they all do some sort of musical instrument? The three of them play piano and one plays guitar. Nice. Um, yeah, piano is, do you play any piano? Uh, no, no, not at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should play more piano, but I am not very good at the piano. I don't know how I got through all my music school, like mandatory piano classes. It was a close shave. Um, but uh, what if, uh, do you think any of your students, I keep calling them your students. Do any of your students, uh, have they expressed an interest in trying the cello? Uh, No, I think they're just letting me have that. And I, and I asked them if they want to try other instruments, but I think that they're pretty much happy (laughs) with what they have in front of them. Yeah. And piano is such a good foundation for like any direction you want to go. So it's, I love it that you can actually see the note, right? It's so good for learners because with the cello, it's just like, there's this expansive black, right? Good luck. See where your fingers go. Maybe the note will come out. And the piano is just like, boop, that's the spot. Um, so um, has anything, I mean, if you studied as long as you have, there have been low points, kind of what has helped you get through, you know, moments where you feel either extra vulnerable or maybe like you don't want to do this or, you know, just a low point? Um. I, I think just talking to my people, my support people, because they remind they remind me of, but look where how far you've come, or it's not that bad, or my daughter will tell me, you just need to get used to the nerves <laughs> or whatever. So re- really, it's them, all of them. And that is also just like another thing. Um, if If anybody here is listening, and you are kind of a lone practitioner because that is not uncommon, especially with people. I've got a couple of students who live in remote areas, so they're not part of a community orchestra. They might be on a couple like Facebook groups, but like it's really important to find communion with people, with other people. I mean, Tamarack Arts, I'm trying to settle, you know, set something up where people can kind of come into contact with these people, but that is by no means not the only place. There's the amateur chamber music players, There are lots of, there are places where you can find your people and find context and support if your people are not supporting you, or if you don't have your people, if, you know, it's just like, you're kind of solitary, especially because we're still kind of in 
semi, we're not, we're not quarantined, but we're not nearly as open as we used to be. Right. And so, um, and if you can't find your people, you send me an email and I will help you find your people. We will do this together. Um, so getting towards the end of our chat, um, I always want to nerd out. So like, who are your favorite musicians or like, who are you listening to? What are you loving? And also, is there like a piece that you have in mind that you're like, oh, I just really, really want to play this. All of it, (laughs) every single bit of it. I want to play all of it. I, I'm really loving Vivaldi right now. We're playing a good orchestra. And when I. I put the headphones on and I play with the headphones. It's just, I feel the butterflies. I'm just so excited and so happy. I can't help but smile. And I honestly feel like that about all the songs. And I really don't know what else is out there. I'm just absorbing it all, taking it all in as much as possible. Have you done a bunch of watching Jacqueline Dupre? Uh, Yes, I did start watching her her a long time ago. So yes, I I have all the YouTube videos pinned (laughs) somewhere, all the things I've watched and been inspired by. Yeah, also, I just love watching her technique because she's powerful, but also so relaxed. Mm -hmm. And as somebody like I'm very passionate and very excited about the music and that can come out as like tension and hardness in my hands, watching somebody with all that passion have a completely relaxed body is like it's a tonic for kind of all of the natural tendencies that are trying to sabotage my hands all the time um so a a really neat part of my story is that at the very beginning when i first started learning the cello i went to a a symphony Mm. Uh, so here locally i went with my husband we went on a date and we watched them play it was probably a fourth of july concert or something and I just remember being so mesmerized by the this one cellist up on the stage. She smiled the entire time. And we didn't talk during the show, but I remember on the way home, I told my husband, I said, you know, there was just that one. He said, yes, that one. She was smiling so big. Well, fast forward. Now, that's my teacher. Oh, that's- <laughs> And so being, being able to be with the person that initially inspired and me and I admired so much, it just feels so full circle to be there with her and to know that she really is a kind, tenderhearted person and she pours into me and believes in, in me. So I would say, yeah, that's my story. It's just, it's so precious. Can we give her a shout out? Can we give her like a little bit of love on the podcast? Yes, her name's Teresa, and um, she's she's just amazing. She wears many hats, and yeah, we all love her. She pours into um, people in her private studio, and then at the at the university and the college, and she just does a lot. Well, Teresa, cellist of many hats, we yeah. <laughs> love and respect you and what you do for the string community and all of your students. Um, is there anything else that you think we should? talk about um so I guess um kind of rounding it out my thought was at the beginning I told you that I my journey started with me thinking that I had to go to college Mm -hmm. to kind of um, level up or become a real musician like I was terming it a year ago but I figured out that I can do it not on my own but I can study I can there's so many resources out there 
And with a good teacher and the opportunity to participate in a community orchestra, I've really been able to glean what I can on my own and with my own dedication, plus, you know, just access to online, I can study music theory, I can study all these pieces and just really tear them apart myself. That is, and that's the most important ingredient is that dedication because there are, I I know lots of people who had access to the finest conservatory available and they bombed out of it because it just wasn't their thing. And I've known people who went through community college, majored in something else, and they're sitting in orchestras, right? So it's just, it's your own dedication and finding the right teacher, uh, teachers, you know, that's, that's important too, but that kernel of it has to be your dedication. And you're right, especially now with so much high quality stuff online, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's a lot available. There's a lot where you can, you can go really far. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to put a lot on my plate and I'll just take small chunks of it. I'll read a little bit of Popper. I didn't even know what it was, but I thought, well, they're learning it. I should take a look at it and just tear it apart slowly just to understand music a little bit more and understand my instrument's geography. Those are all things I can do at home on my own and then meet up with the orchestra and my teacher for technique and sound and moving forward into the next whatever it is. Well, I'm excited to see whatever the next whatever it is is for you. <laughs> um, and I'm so glad that like Carrie and I could have like played a little role. Like w- think of us as like your cheerleaders, like or these just like two crazy people just absolutely cheering you on from the sidelines because it's um, like both of she and I have both had our careers threatened by all kinds of different things. And so it's like we both feel very lucky to be able to be in music um, and to be able to kind of, like we survived all of our mistakes in music school. <laughs> and so the idea that somebody would benefit from what <laughs> the, the antics we got up to and all of the great education we nearly threw away because again, being 22 in Los Angeles, that's a lot to ask of a person. <laughs> Um, but yeah, super excited for whatever's coming for you. And um, I really appreciate the time you took to talk to me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it too. I can't wait to play with you someday. Hopefully it's at Tamarack or somewhere else. It would be really fun. You can count on it. You can absolutely count on it. Can't wait. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Bye. And that was our episode. I want to thank Tanya and Jesse for um, especially Tanya for her patience because I flubbed the time difference between the UK and the US, especially when we were changing to like daylight savings time. Um, So thank you both for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I wanted to offer just a little promo. Um, Tamarack Arts does have an in-person program this summer in Litchfield, Connecticut. We have three spaces left uh, as of right now. Um, for staying on campus at Wisdom House, and then a bunch of spots available if you find your own accommodations. And then we also have a uh, the online summer program running from August 25th through 27th. That's a three-day program. Our previous ones have been four days, but we're going to try to make it a little bit more compact and work better for people who have to do jobs and other things during the week. So um, head over to tamarackarts.org enroll 
And uh, if you're listening to this before May 1st, 2023, um, there are discounts available right now for the online program. All right, thanks. See you next time.